Well, good morning, Ben. Hello, Ian. Well, what we've decided is for our next two episodes, we're going to go back to two of the highlights of the year when we stopped recording Gritty Leaders podcast. Now, we both did some interesting stuff, but what stood out in our conversations was that there were two things we wanted to talk about, which made an impact on ourselves, we think our listeners will be interested in. And they're both very different. Uh, One is my uh, Ironman 70.3 triathlon. And one is your uh, dissertation, which uh, at 18,000 words was a massive piece of work. And when I read it, I realized that leaders were going to find some really valuable stuff in here. So I think we've got two really interesting things to talk about here in these two episodes. And uh, I can't wait to uh, hear what you're going to ask me on, on my one. Yeah, great. I'm not sure which is the more traumatic experience. A half Iron Man horrifies me. The idea of going back and doing my dissertation again horrifies me. Yeah. So I'm not going to go there for now. I'm going to focus on you. You're half Ironman, Ian. So this is a pretty brutal triathlon, 1.9 kilometre swim, a 90 kilometre bike ride, 21 kilometre run to the line. Wow. Yeah. So Ian, what's the... What's the backstory? What possessed you? What's the backstory here? Well, it's a long backstory, probably because of my age. Uh, lots of sports as a kid, cricket, football, hockey at school, left school, went to work in Hong Kong, did martial arts, tennis, squash. You know, I did everything really. Then I got married and at the age of 30, I was asked to go and run a half marathon with some friends from school. So that was my first actual running I'd done running obviously in other sports but never run um not being a, a cycler mm-hmm. I'd, I'd learned to swim but I wasn't a swimmer at 40 Jacqueline's father died my wife and we decided to do a half marathon for the cancer charity up in Glasgow so I did another half marathon um I still wasn't hooked by it I just thought it was something to do to be honest then at 50 I decided I think I'd been influenced by a friend of mine who had done lots of ultra marathons, and he said, why don't you do, you know, a trail marathon? So I foolishly signed up for a trail marathon, the North Downs Way, which was quite brutal. I remember mm-hmm. on, the, on, mm-hmm. the, on the start line, they said, are there any newcomers here? There are only about 250 of us, unlike the London Marathon with sort of 30,000. Okay. And um, he said, uh, any new, newbies? I put my hand up and he said, right, well, forget the time you said you'd do it in, because it was a trail marathon. It was up and down hills. It was crazy. So I did that age of 50, did another one age of 53. Then I did a London to Paris four-day bike ride with some friends um, and thought, oh, I quite like cycling. This is quite interesting. I did it on a hybrid bike, so it was quite tough. But I thought, yeah, this is really good fun. So you could see it was beginning to take shape. Then I found out training actually for a run that I had a problem with my hip. And I had and a problem, I'd, I'd, worn, I'd worn one of my hips out. Mm-hmm. So I had a hip replacement. Having had the hip replacement, I thought, I can't really run now because the surgeon said, you can run, but don't train for a marathon. So I thought, <laughs> OK, so now, now, now I suppose you're beginning to think, OK, well, this man's a fool. So I had the hip replacement and then I did two sprint triathlons. Now, the sprint triathlons are the sh- really short version because I thought, hang on, I can do something. I can do a 5K run, which is what it is. So I, that was a 750 metre swim 
in a lake. I think you've done the very same one, um, a 20K bike ride and a 5K run. Mm-hmm. So that was um, my first introduction to triathlon. Did two of those, enjoyed them, but didn't find them particularly punishing, which also says something about me. And then my kind of world came to a stop because I got prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. And as you know, I had an operation to remove prostate, came out of that and sat down on the sofa and thought, what do I want to do? And I certainly didn't think, do an Ironman. Mm-hmm. I actually said to my wife, uh, why don't I play some golf? So I went back to golf, uh, bought some new clubs, joined a club and started playing golf. And typical me, got back down to uh, single figures, which is, used to be in my 30s, really enjoying golf. And then the pandemic came along. Mm-hmm. Golf clubs shut, golf clubs went away. I uh, got bored again, I thought, because I love to have something going on in my life. So I thought, well, when I'd done London to Paris four-day bike ride, I had come across a London to Paris in 24 hours, which was obviously the hard one to do. <laughs> and I had actually entered it, and then prostate cancer got in the way. So I thought, how can I do this? And this, they weren't running it in uh, lockdown, in pandemic. So I thought, well, I could do it on my Peloton bike and locally um, with some friends, because as we sort of came out for those you know, little months at a time during the lockdown. Yes. So I did, and it was 300 kilometers in 24 hours with four hours sleep. And I had to do a lot of planning to make it work on the Peloton bike. So having done that, and I raised 6,000 pounds for prostate cancer, uh, I thought, well, I can, I can cycle for a long time. I've got some endurance here. And then I thought, hmm, I could run, probably if I don't train too hard. And I don't know why I started thinking of a, of, of a half Ironman, but I did. So that's the backstory of how I entered it. I'll be truthful, I didn't know if I could do it. Mm, okay, I, I can hear the progression in there. I can hear sort of the concept of challenge creeping in increasingly towards the the end of that series of of different experiences. Before the triathlon, what were your best and your worst athletic performances or, or achievements? And how did those feature in setting the scene? Mm, I suppose... Th- the best has to be the first trail marathon, which uh, did push me because it was up and down hills. And I, I actually didn't know what I was getting myself into. I'd, I'd run, but I'd never done up and down hills for, you know, 26 miles. Mm-hmm. And I trained for 20 miles on the flat and then, you know, ran it going up and down hills. And, and it was a hot day. And, uh, you know, it was quite grueling. I remember that, you know, after you get beyond 20 miles, it's, it's tough work for those who've done a marathon. But I finished it and I crossed the line holding, you know, a, a, a hand in hand with my kids. And I remember it was pouring with rain, but hot. And, um, I, you know, got off and got into the uh, massage tent and thought, yeah, what an achievement. That was great. I pushed through. I, you know, there were times when I wanted to give up and I didn't. Uh-huh. So I suppose that was my best I suppose my worst is looking back at doing things half-heartedly when I was a kid you know I uh, sort of not getting to a point where I felt I was achieving much maybe you know, I joined Bexley Heath Cricket Club after school and I was quite good at cricket I was probably better at cricket than other things but I never pursued it really and I think that was leaving something on the shelf the the second trail marathon I got an Achilles injury and that was horrible I actually ran it all with an Achilles injury that hurt so that was that was a bad experience, if you like. Not the worst performance, but I didn't do a good time. But So I, I, the worst for me is just not putting everything into it, not preparing, not taking it to a, a place that you can take it. I, I wouldn't say I've done particularly badly in something I've entered. I've been lucky in, th- you know, 
in various ways. But it's when I, when I look back and I think, well, something I didn't do well was because I just didn't prepare or didn't want to take it to a certain place. Yeah, that, that, that's clear in what you said. The worst was half-hearted. The best was what an achievement pushed through. Yeah, exactly. What did you anticipate would be the challenge of your half Ironman on day zero when you decided to sign on the dotted line? Uh, you know me. I had a lot of butterflies, I had a lot of anxiety, and the big question was, could I actually do it? I, before I signed up, the most I'd ever swum was 750 metres in a lake, which was flat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd done half of that breaststroke. Uh, now, you cannot enter a half Ironman, 1.9 kilometres sea swim, and do half breaststroke. You will not finish it in the time, because there's cut-off as an hour. Uh-huh. Um, so I had to learn to do crawl for two kilometres at least, uh, which I didn't know how to do it. And uh, I, I just, it was the unknown. It was, you know, could I do two kilometres of sea swimming, get out of the sea knackered, and then cycle for the best part of four and a half hours up and down hills, be knackered, and then run a half marathon? I actually just didn't know if I could do it. That was how I felt. Can I do this? I just don't know. Okay, and yeah. what actually was the challenge? On the day, the challenge was keep going. Uh Prior to the day, the challenge was planning it well. And it's quite technical, a triathlon of this distance. The nutrition is so important, understanding what kind of nutrition you should take. The training is huge because you have to plan it out so that as you get towards the end, you're doing lots of training. So, you know, I I could be in in the final say a month before the actual Ironman, I'd be doing, say, three sessions of cycling a week, one hour, two hours, and three hours. Then I'd be doing two runs of one 5K, one 10K, mm-hmm. and I'd be doing two swims of uh, one would be two kilometres and one would be one kilometre. So you've got to put a lot of training in, which gives you the confidence to think, I could do this. And you've got to do the brick training, which is putting them together. Yep. So you can't just do the, you know, the individual sports and hope that when you get there, you'll be able to link them. <laughs> you, have got to, you have got to do it where you, you do the swim, get out of the pool or however you're swimming it, get on the bike, do the bike, get off the bike and do the run. I never did the full Ironman in training or the full half Ironman in training. I did you know, much uh, less. And in fact, the, as it turned out, the, um, the cycle was absolutely brutal because it was, a, 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 again, very, very, very hilly, if, if not <laughs> mountainous. Okay, so you still had this question as you, as you started that day, can I do this? Can I finish? Absolutely. I was, I was very nervous. Yeah, okay. And lots of complexity you described there, but also, you know, that can I do this shifted to how do I keep going? That became the, the challenge. All right. So, Ian... What did this this half Ironman, your first one, what did it reveal about you? you know, your weaknesses, about digging deep, strengths maybe? Yeah, good question. It revealed that I'm a completer finisher. <laughs> it's strange when the people I knew well all came back to me afterwards and said, of course you were going to do it. You know, there wasn't, and they weren't saying that because they were trying to big me up. They just know me. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I complete a finisher. And I think I've got better at that as my life's gone on. Because, um, that's because of the preparation. I think preparation is everything. Uh, I'm willing to take a risk also and have a go. I think that shows up because 
uh, whilst I say they all said I was going to finish it, actually that was not a given, really. It really wasn't a given in this circumstance. So many things can go wrong. You can get an injury quite easily. Your bike can have a puncture and that could rule you out. Um, I almost didn't, didn't complete the cutoff. So I, you know, I came out the, the sea in just over 50 minutes and I was so shattered. I spent nine minutes in, in transition and I, and I had a one hour cutoff. <laughs> so I was like a minute under the cutoff time to get on the bike because I was so tired. And, you know, and then I had five and a half hours of exercise, intense exercise ahead of me. So th- there was lots of places where it almost went wrong. But I just, for some sort of psychological condition, managed to pull it back. It also taught me, and I knew this, I suppose, already, I need a goal which is stretching. I just really do, because it, it gives me massive amounts of energy for all sorts of things in my life. And, you know, my wife will tell me that you need a goal again, you need to be stretched, you need to push yourself again because that's what keeps you alive uh, and then I set a plan then I organize it and then I compete you know compete in it whatever whatever it is yeah yeah okay so I've started so I'll finish unless I can't finish it sounds like you're going to finish unless you are unable to continue bike is broken or you've drowned or something like <laughs> like that well you you see, you do see, you know, when you're on this ridiculous thing, you see people just can't continue, you know. You see people on the bike, yeah. stop. Tell me a bit more about the, the importance of a, a stretching goal versus other types of goal. I suppose it's a mental thing for me. I get this energy from entering something, whatever it be, doing the TEDx back in 2018 or actually becoming a Vistage chair back in 2012 taking on a new client where I've got to run, you know, some workshops with them where I've got to learn some new stuff or add some new stuff to what I'm doing. It, it gives me that real excitement and energy, which I thrive off because that's continuous learning. That's bringing something new to the party. That's trying something that's taking a bit of a risk. And if I go for something that I can already do, actually, I find it a bit boring. I don't get that sense of energy and excitement over doing it. So a stretching goal makes the difference between half-heartedness and really attacking something for you yeah absolutely and just it makes me feel alive that's the best way I can put it uh-huh. and this combination um I've started so I've finished and a stretching goal does this describe you in most situations I don't know if in every situation um I think like a lot of people so as you know we've just been on holiday in Costa Rica and when I turn something off, I turn it off. You know, I was totally relaxed. I was just sitting around eating everything and having too many gin and tonics and just enjoying life. I wasn't training. I wasn't pushing anything. I, you know, I was totally relaxed. And Yeah, but nor did you do Costa Rica half-heartedly, by the sounds of it. Yeah, we, we did. Well, we, we, we got a travel agent to organise it. You know, we went to uh, four places and we really enjoyed it and had lots of guides and stayed in nice hotels and so on. So it was pretty much done for us once we had helped, got them to help us organise it. It was a terrific trip, but, you know, yeah, I can, I can, re- I can relax uh, and I can turn it off and I think I have to and I realise, you know, I'm very, uh, I'm very conscious of... I notice when I'm not feeling quite on it and that can be a combination of not relaxing enough 
or not stretching myself enough. You know, there's quite, there's a ba- I have a balance, I think, in my life, and I'm, I, I'm becoming attuned to it, where I need to have a stretch goal going on, but I also need to build in family time. I mean, I could never have done this when the kids were young, for instance, and I didn't. You know, the kids are 21, they're at university, I've got more time. So, uh, and I think this would have been impossible and I wouldn't have entered it because of the training required. And it's selfish, you know, there's no question. So you told us how you prepared physically, if you like, and training for those different disciplines, putting them together, brick training, I think you called it. How did you prepare mentally? I think mentally, because as, as I've said, I started with the unknown. Can I do this? And that kind of is very exciting and very scary at the same time. So how do you cope with that? Because actually, if you get too scared, you obviously mm-hmm. go into, you know, fight flights and uh, et cetera. And I could have just pulled out and said, well, I can't do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So the only way of coping with it mentally, I think, was to prove as much as I could do that I had a good chance of doing it. And so the training... I mean, I said I'd done, the, I'd done the bike, so I was confident I could cycle that distance. That wasn't a problem. And then once I had conquered two kilometres in the pool, I was confident I could do two kilometres. Mm-hmm. In the sea, is actually slightly different, and I was, uh, I was slightly deluded, and I thought that the pool was the same as the sea. It wasn't. The sea was a lot harder. Uh, and as they call it, when you get into the water at the beginning of a, an Ironman, it's like they call it the washing machine because there's so many people in there around you kicking you and you're getting sort of semi-drowned as you, as you try and swim away from the shore. But I think it's the training. It's the, it's, it's the build-up with training. It's the interest that gets me in um, looking at all the, the, the tech behind it, how all that's going to work, the nutrition, and gradually convincing yourself that I've got enough time, the, the training hours will go in, I'm getting better, and if other people can do it, and I've always had this mantra... If it can be done, then I can do it. So there are 1,250 people doing the Ironman. Okay, there are only 25 people over 60 doing it, and I'm in that category. But if it can be done by people over 60, then unless I have got a real challenge somewhere, and, you know, I passed somebody with uh, prosthetic limbs running it. There was a guy on the start line with, with, um, who was a quadriplegic. You do an Ironman and you see humanity at its best it's extraordinary and you also realize you think gosh you know look at me i'm doing an ironman you get those 1250 people doing it. you think actually you know i'm not unique and this is going on all, all over the world every day you know so there are lots of people doing this sort of stuff but but mentally it's convincing yourself you can do it and then believing that actually you've got the mental capacity also because of the things you've done in the past these sort of proof points in your life that um I will, I will put it together on the day. It's kind of a trust in yourself. Yeah, a combination there of building your confidence and also ways in which you make yourself determined. If somebody else can do it, I can do it. Yeah, it can be done, you know. Yeah. And what have you learned about how you motivate yourself in the moment? You said earlier, you know, the challenge became to keep going. Mm. So in those moments... You're on a hill, it's hot, you're exhausted. You could just stop. That suggestion, it's there somewhere in your mind. You know that if I stop here, I'm not going to get going again. 
in those moments? Uh, how do you how do you motivate yourself in those moments? I had a few of those in the training, which I then applied in the actual Ironman, which was one foot in front of the other, or one pedal stroke and then another pedal stroke. So if I focused right down on the on the on the present. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could only affect the present. I couldn't affect what was going to happen in half an hour. And I think that was really good mental preparation for just, you know, living a better life. Uh, it focuses you absolutely on the present. Every moment of that mm-hmm. eight hours and five minutes, I had to be present to put one step in front of the other. After after the excitement of starting and, you know, swimming for 200 metres, it's then you know, a lot to do. And so it's one arm stroke in front of the other arm stroke. It's, you can do this, you can do this. You know, then it's going up a hill in 29 degrees as it was in Marbella, pouring with sweat, tough, been cycling for three and a half hours, really tired, just put that next stroke through the pedal, just put that next stroke through the pedal, keep going, next stroke through the pedal. It's absolutely focus on the present. Mm, Okay. Uh, so much I could ask about to do with that, but um, sum it up for me then. What what is your mental A game? I think my mental A game is somebody said that uh, there are proof points in your life. I mentioned it a minute ago, where you do something and you prove something to yourself, and it allows you to go to the next peak, if you like, in terms of a sort of analogy of climbing a mountain. You know, I've got to that peak, I can go to the next peak, mm-hmm. and I think. Um, whatever it is, whether whether I'm working with a client or doing some crazy thing like this, I think it's trusting that I've got enough of those proof points in my bag that I can complete stuff, that I can do stuff, that I know I'll get through this. So in all sorts of different ways, you can draw upon one of or many of those yeah. those proof points to give you what you need in, in different circumstances. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So let's talk a bit about resilience. This was your question. Can I finish? I don't know if I can finish. So how did you make it survivable? Can you unpack that question a bit more in terms of survivable? What are you getting out there, just so that I understand clearly? Well, you've described, Ian, the things that drove you forward. You've described how you motivated yourself in the really tough moments. Yeah, so the, these are all driving forces of yours. But what about the survivability? What about the endurance, avoiding a sort of a burnout uh, at any point in this campaign to do your half Ironman? I think it's interesting. When you start the training, you do get to a point where you think, this is this is relentless. You know, you look at your calendar for the next week and you think, I've got to do all this training again. And whilst I'm in the training, I'm enjoying it. But it's like looking ahead and going, oh, gosh, got to do, you know, two hours on a Monday night, then an hour on a Tuesday. And, 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 and it becomes quite overwhelming sometimes. And it's only going to build. So if you're halfway through, you know it's getting worse. So how do you deal with that and sort of surviving that I read a lot around the subject, so, you know, magazines and uh, listen to podcasts from triathletes and so on and coaches. And what they would say is when you feel like that, stop. Just have a break. Your body's telling you, have a break. Just break for a week. You'll catch up. And, and so I kind of 
I think that's great advice for anything in life, you know. Mm -hmm. if you look at, if you look at your body or your mind and you're working till 10 o'clock and somebody, just stop, just stop. Mm -hmm. What's the worst that can happen? So, and I, I use that in various parts of my life as well, where you just, again, it's noticing yourself and going, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm struggling here. <laughs> let's just stop. Let's go for a walk. Let's take a step back. Let's not do that thing I put in the diary. Let's take out those three hours on Wednesday night. Let's... Let's just take the pressure off because I'll catch up, you know, I'll be fine. And, and I think it was that knowing and reading about it. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a great absorber of, of, of knowledge around this area. And that, that, again, I find fascinating when you, you know, you, you read some people who have done this at an extreme, you know, some people who have done Ironman in crazy times. You know, I mean, I think the best time for a half Ironman by our man is four hours and three minutes. And I did it in eight hours and five minutes. Okay, these guys are in their 30s and they're professional athletes, but you realize how quick they can do it. So, so yeah, I think it's just knowing that, uh, you know, I can say no to things, I can take things away, I can stop things. I used to be terrible at putting a plan together and then if I couldn't, mm -hmm. if I couldn't achieve it in the way I'd set it out, I'd, you know, I'd almost bang my fist and stamp my feet. I think as I've got older, I've realized that's, that's not the way to behave. And actually, there are other ways of doing it. And I've got better at stepping back. And you know, there's so many things are said that can go wrong, never mind in life, but just with training for this sort of thing, that you might never do it, you know? You just might never get there. So you have to prepare for that, I think. And you're talking about presence again. You're talking about listening to, to your body, listening to your to your to your mind. I didn't know we'd be talking about presence. Yeah. But it it moves me nicely onto my my next question or the next thing I want to talk about actually is can we talk about the the iron man, the iron woman mindset. Mm. And the reason I ask is I've coached a couple of uh iron man, in fact one iron man and one iron woman athlete, not coached them to do uh the triathlon. I've coached them in their in their professional life. Mm -hmm. But I've seen there's a, a single-mindedness when a problem occurs, the, the brutal decision, can I fix this? Mm. Do I fix this? Or if I can't fix it, well, then I'm just going to have to ignore it uh, and, and tolerate it. The ability to ignore pain, uh, focus on solutions, the ability to exclude others quite often, Competition, competition with your with yourself, uh, mm -hmm. grits, and all of these to an extreme extent, and that was that was kind of really brought home to me. I I found myself talking to a doctor uh, a few months ago, and she provided medical cover at a triathlon. I'm not sure what what distance, but a fairly significant distance and she described the number of ambulances mm. that they call as people cross the line and collapse and are medically in a really serious condition and yeah and two or three from that race were were hospitalized for for days so this is a massively powerful mindset so how how much of that did you recognize and what are your thoughts on how this shows up outside of triathlon for triathletes and, you know, the pros and the cons of it. Well, yeah, I, it, it all showed up, all shows up in me. I've got a high pain threshold, I know that. Mm. Whether that's just mental or physical, I'm probably a combination of both. So 
I know I can keep going. I know I'm more of an endurance than a speed person. I know I've got, I'm quite strong mentally. I think there is, a, there is something about not letting myself down. And when I commit to something, I want to see it through. I do recognize completely the getting to the finishing line and collapsing. Although the strange thing was, I mean, they say after you've done a triathlon, your immune system is fairly, is very low. Because mm -hmm. your body's, you, you know, you put a load of junk in your body whilst you're doing it as well, just to keep yourself going. And you may have not got it quite right in terms of the combination of nutrition. It may have been hotter day. You may have done something worse. You, all sorts of things can happen. And you get to the finishing line and you could be in a terrible state. The strange thing about doing it was the easiest part of it for me, which I did the least prep for because I didn't want to wreck my hip was the running mm -hmm. and it was the last piece and it was the piece I thought do you know what I'm probably going to get halfway through the run and think oh, I don't know if I can finish it that was my fear it was completely the opposite I got halfway through the run and thought I could run forever mm -hmm. weird isn't it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and when I came to the finishing line all these things about crossing the finishing line throwing my arms in the air you know none of that happened I crossed the finishing line and thought well, I could run a bit more now it was very odd and I, I we went out for dinner that night and, and Jacqueline said to me earlier that week you're not going to want to go out for dinner with friends. You're going to want to go home and, you know, relax. And I said, no, I want to go out for dinner. And, uh, you know, I went out for dinner. We had a lovely dinner. And um, I ate tons of protein and tons of carbs. Had a fantastic meal. And the following day, I you know, slept in a bit late and then did the gardening. And I think the interesting thing was, it was because I was very fit. Mm -hmm. And... And the ones you hear about of crossing the line and collapsing, you do see some people running these things and doing these things. And okay, things can go wrong. But you do see some people and you think, how on earth are you doing this? You look in terrible shape. You're, you're struggling, but you just keep going. So I think you're always going to get people who are going to crash and burn at any, in any kind of endurance event because there's, the mental ability will, will overcome the physical so the physical will say stop and mentally you're stronger and that's the danger where mentally you say I'm just going to keep going physically you're falling apart mm -hmm. and if you're physically prepped well that puts you in a much better position but I did see people on that and I passed people running and I'm thinking oh, you should stop <laughs> really you should stop and it's it's interesting and you're you're underlining what a powerful mindset it is. The the thing about it for me is I think it's a very specific mindset. Yeah. It works for triathlons. And actually, it's so extreme that it can be pretty troublesome in other parts of, of life. You know, and triathlon is an extreme and individual sport. Mm -hmm. When we're in the workplace, well, that's a team sport. And it's a team sport being played by by people that are not extreme athletes. So even in that team approach, they're going to take a, a, a different approach. And I think that's so interesting, that contrast, but also so important to, to, to remember and to be thinking about both that individual sport extreme, the team sport, uh, and a more realistic, uh, or making sure, you know, in the way that you did actually, making sure that we build confidence and we keep things achievable at the same time as as stretching i think it's quite an adjustment I, I love the fact that when you do things like this you're not quite sure what effect it's going to have on your 
mental state. Hmm. So going through something like this is a bit of an experiment, if you like, with yourself. Because hmm. it's saying, how will I cope? What will happen? How will I come out the other end? And I find that fascinating because, you know, we're only on this earth physically for a certain amount of time. What are we going to do with this body and this mind? Mm. How are we going to make the most of who we are? And in a large sense, you know, the biggest, the macro view of this is that for me, it's looking at me for almost, almost from the outside and saying, what's this person, this body, this mind going to do with itself? How is this person, this mind, this body going to make the most of it and get to the finishing line whenever that is? You know, I don't know. You don't know. No one knows. But get to that finishing line. Said, yeah, I gave it a go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I pushed it a bit. Wow, we're getting spiritual. Spiritual. I think this is time for some quickfire questions, <laughs> uh, Ian. Um, what were your emotions as you finished? Uh, burst into tears. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what does being a triathlete say about you? I think triathlete says you like to keep fit and do different disciplines. Ironman says something different, having done both. I think Ironman says... You're a bit extreme. What's the one thing you always do after a good performance, whether it's in sports or some other part of life? When I'm on my own, I shout, yes! <laughs> and just feel that endorphin rush through my system and dopamine and feel amazing about what I've achieved. <laughs> Didn't know that about you. How do you calm your butterflies? I focus on the here and now, the present. It goes back to the present. It goes back to the what can I, what can I control? What, can I, what do I need to do now? And what's the next thing I need to do? Of all of them out there, which athlete is your biggest inspiration? James Cracknell uh, was, is an incredible inspiration to me, who you've met because of what he's been through. I, I could name so many athletes, mountain climbers, triathletes, but... He's an astonishing person. Uh, was it three gold medals or was it five? Or was it two? Three rowing? Two rowing three, golds. Three rowing gold medals. Many, many world championships. Yeah. Yeah. Marathon de Sable. He did, uh, I think, the Arctic and Antarctic. And then, of course, he got the, the brain damage being hit by a lorry cycling and then kind of recovered from that. I guess it's, you know, this ability to sort of push through and uh, cope with whatever hits you, literally, in his case. Mm. Um, but there's, there are so many, I think. I think making the most of what you have is what inspires me, not necessarily naturally talented athletes. So I wouldn't look at a Lionel Messi and say I'm massively inspired by him necessarily. Okay, that's interesting. Because he's incredibly uh, in a very small percentage of people who I believe are incredibly talented. And okay, he works at that phenomenally well, but I'm more interested in people who maybe don't have that natural talent and push it. I hear you. Tell me one of your mantras, one that you used during this Ironman. One step in front of the other. (laughs) You gave us that earlier. Ian, I know your visual. When you're drawing deep, is there an image that you draw upon? There is, and it's crossing the line. Uh-huh. It's uh, you know you can read about this with athletes and they often do it and and I, 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 it's not because I read about it with other athletes but when I'm starting in fact when I'm training I'm thinking about crossing the line at the end. Uh-huh. Interesting. So we go from presence being in the here and the now to future pacing, actually with that image. Yeah. 
last quick fire question. Ian, is your next big big challenge? Is it another Iron Man or is it something else? It is another Iron Man, which is the Tangier Iron Man, which had just been informed about two days ago is on the 29th of October. So I've got plenty of time to prepare for it. And it's another warm water, warm place. And you know, we'll go out there for a couple of days before. It should be lovely. I'm not interested in doing an Ironman in cold weather in the UK. <laughs> Beyond that, I don't know what I'll do because there's lots of interesting stuff out there you can do that isn't an Ironman. I've got this history of doing two of things. I did two sprints, two half marathons, two full trail marathons. Uh, maybe I'll just do the second one and draw a line under it. I won't know till I finish it, though, and I leave that to how I feel. Okay, let's find out. Just two more questions. The The first is, Ian, what's changed as a result of swimming, cycling and running this Ironman? It's another proof point in my life, I think, is the short answer mm-hmm. to say I can I can do some stuff I never thought I could do. I never thought, I mean, I, I remember, you know, meeting people who'd done Ironmans 10, 15, 20 years ago and and to me, it was like, well, you're just a bit of a freak, aren't you? And actually, they weren't. They were just people who prepared hard and had a focus and a goal and went through and did it. And I think that's the interesting thing. I, I, I realised that actually, do you know what? I can do anything I set my mind to. If I genuinely believe if I wanted to climb Everest, I'd climb Everest. I don't have a problem with thinking things like that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that's good because it doesn't, it, you know, I don't rule things out. <laughs> well, if you climb Everest, we'll, we'll do a podcast about that as well, <laughs> uh, Ian. All right, but talking of peaks, uh, didn't intend that segue, but talking of peaks, you <laughs> mentioned it earlier, uh, another of your peak experiences was your TEDx talk. Yeah. I was there in, in Woking at the World Wildlife Fund. I know that's one of your peak experiences. So looking back at these two peak experiences in combination, what do you see? Yeah, I see a lot of the similar traits. Wanting to push myself to something I'm not sure if I can do. Seeing them as things other people did, not me. Conquering fear. And I think fear is a massive driver, as we know. Mm -hmm. And preparing massively for both. I can remember walking through the woods for hours, walking my dog and just talking my TEDx to the trees. So they've got a lot in common. You know, I think most things in life require, you know, a goal, uh, some targets, a lot of planning, a lot of support. Couldn't do any of these things without an incredible wife and family. And um, I believe they make me the person I am and a better version of what I was. Wow, so much more came into that, that last answer, including identity at the end hey ian thank you it's been it's been so fascinating what was your time it was eight hours and five minutes that's awesome that's awesome i'm going to give you the last word on this actually (laughs) oh well that's interesting thanks it's been fascinating to actually answer questions on it which have made me think more deeply about why i did it and how i did it and I don't think we reflect on things deeply enough. And I think that's where the learning comes from. And that's where, that's where we really start to understand ourselves better. And so this has been, it felt a bit of a therapy going through this with you today. <laughs> uh, but a good therapy, as therapy should be. And um, 
so thanks for taking care to put a great set of questions together and I've really enjoyed it. Ah, you're, you're welcome. What a different episode of, of Gritty Leaders podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs>